0: This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard, take the lead.
1: I'm Cassandra Baldini. This is the Financial Standard Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. The housing crisis in Australia is widely acknowledged, with recent findings from the Everybody's Home campaign revealing alarming statistics. Around 67% of people are experiencing housing stress. 82% 82% of renters are facing rental stress, while 75% of those surveys express concerns about their financial security due to the ongoing housing crisis. Over the past year, rising rents and decreasing vacancy rates have resulted in overcrowded property inspections and intense bidding wars. This situation has further strained the already limited social and affordable housing market, And to address this issue, a potential solution has emerged in the form of build-to-rent schemes. This approach has proved popular among superannuation funds and holds the promise of easing the nation's housing problem like a rising phoenix. However, with so many of the developments offering state-of-the-art and luxury facilities, there is a real question around who these initiatives are actually going to help. Meanwhile, other co-investment solutions in the market looking to solve housing affordability, often with a more meaningful approach, are finding it difficult to make their mark. With me today to discuss the reasons for this is Hope Housing Chief Executive Tim Buskins. Tim, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Cassie, and thank you very much for uh, inviting me along.
1: Can you give us some background on what Hope Housing is and what it intends to do?
0: Yeah, sure. So, Hope Housing, uh, we started it a few years ago now, um, and effectively, what we are is a uh, a solution here to solve a problem. Uh, I started it with uh, my business partner Tim Sims, and we've got backgrounds in financial services, superannuation, private equity, and and we've been very lucky and privileged, and and developed a lot of skills, experience, and we really wanted to. Uh, Turn that, um, that experience into uh, doing something really for good. And the real key problem that we were facing or we looking at was the affordability problem, but more specifically, it was the problem we we're observing where the middle ring um, of major capital cities, the middle income earners, specifically the um, essential workers, Increasingly, could not afford to live close to where they worked, and they were getting pushed out to the outer rim. And the concern that was um, developing our mind is: what's that doing to our communities, our inner city communities, the people that uh, are relying on the the essential workers? How are those communities um, maintaining diversity and strength in this in this crisis? Uh, and so with that problem statement very clearly in our mind, we researched a lot of models around the world. We looked at um, you know various systems, both here and, and, and overseas. Uh, and we really felt that shared equity or as you put it in the interaction co-investment uh, was a model that really ticked a lot of our boxes um, And we, we, what we intend to do um, with this model is, innovate around how people finance homes, scale it to a third solution for for house financing, but at the same time deliver to investors and and, uh, the investment community commercial returns with uh, a real social impact.
1: It really does sound like a positive solution. What kind of investors are you targeting?
0: Well, yeah, so there's a very broad spectrum of investors out there and a broad spectrum of interest. I mean, fundamentally, uh, everybody understands property and and any investor that really understands property is is within our sweet spot. Uh, and then the other lens that we look at um, are initially investors that have a good understanding of property and want to do good, invest for good, uh, look at uh, allocating capital to not only deliver the commercial returns that they all are looking for and need, but the social returns um, into the community to strengthen that that community. And so, with that with that sort of very wide um, spectrum of investors um, and that that interest range, we worked hard to deliver a sort of a fund structure for them to coexist. So we're talking about, you know, large institutional investors, family office foundations, even down to self-managed super, um, thinking about uh, residential property. And so the fund structure that we worked on enables that to coexist and and deliver that, that commercial return, which we're targeting. And the, obviously the, the S and the ESG, which is, you know, what a lot of uh, not only investors, but the community are looking for.
1: Build to Rent, no doubt, has been getting a lot of attention from super funds in the industry. Why do you think that is when you compare that to ownership solutions? Yeah, um,
0: I guess if I I put my super fund hat back on and sort of came out of that industry, uh, what what I guess is important is looking at track record and, and build to rent from an international space um, has some well-developed markets in the US and, and Europe. Uh, and so you you automatically, when, when you're starting to think about, you know, expanding your investment universe away from some of the core traditional asset classes as a fund, uh, you look for examples of track record. That that's That's sort of core to what the industry does. It also it also um, flows into a very important narrative that that we always have to constantly look at, and that's the supply narrative. Mm-hmm. You know fundamentally uh, the solution around affordability is gonna to have to have a, a varying number of of um, initiatives and supply is gonna be one of them and, and build to renders A is a supply type solution. So it it helps go toward towards that. And then, as I as I mentioned, I guess in terms of looking at international track record, the build to rent model is a is a, is a I guess an investment model that is probably the closest to the traditional office investment property um, you know, investment model, or the retail property investment model, or the logistics property investment model. So it's there's familiarity in it. Um, for funds, and so where you've got some track record, it feeds into a supplier narrative, and it, and it feels comfortable and familiar. You are you, going to elevate to that um, whoever whoever you are, and, and this is through discussions I've been having recently with CIOs. I think they're starting to emerge, and and it is it is an evolution for an evolutionary journey for um, a super funds as much as anyone else. They're starting to emerge that okay, so we can start with build to rent, but you know, questions started to come out. Does the international model really fit in Australian context from a commercial perspective? You know, with the with the the supply and the cost type development factors in Australia, and just the attitudes of Australians towards rentals. So how does that sort of fit? Uh, and is it really delivering? Uh, you know, the real key element for Australians. Is the economic wealth that gets generated out of property? Are we uh, are we as super funds now creating uh, a generation of tenants and not enabling property in, in retirement? So there's so so it's a it, it's a model that has got a lot of attraction because it's it's got track record, there's comfort and it's it's supply. But I think it's a model that's starting to emerge that they say, well, what else can we do? You know, what mm-hmm. are the other opportunities out there and interestingly you know, we always go Australia always does look tend to look internationally you know if we look back at internationally what we're now seeing um, overseas is a lot of the big pension funds actually moving to co-investment shared mm-hmm. equity models um, and you know we've had discussions with some of those some of those investors that are now looking to Australia to say well yeah we've sort of evolved a bit from build to rent Uh okay. And now we are looking at the next generation, which is shared equity.
1: Another issue for us here in Australia is a lack of social and affordable housing, which is a huge problem. And there are calls for government to create 25,000 new homes each year to meet the current shortfall. Meanwhile, all of these build to rent developments announced of late, when you get into the nitty gritty, they don't really seem to be appealing to most of the vulnerable within our community just due to the features they're offering. With this in mind, super funds take pride in the impact investing projects with a particular focus on the E aspect of ESG. However, when it comes to the S aspect, is there an opportunity to address it through investment in housing?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Cassie. Um, and there's a lot, really there's a lot in there to unpack. Mm-hmm. I guess what, what sort of crossed my mind as you were sort of speaking is that, you know, there are going to be different solutions that deliver different um, uh, different outcomes in different areas, and it's and there's not going to be one size fits all. It's not going to be we could do one thing and it's going to address every problem out there. There is not a silver bottle, bullet at all, yeah. and so it is going to require um, government and uh, Superannuation funds and other institutional investors, as well as solution providers like Hope, to sort of innovate and think about community and think about uh, what parts of the community uh, we are looking to impact and help uh, and you know, deliver the deliver the outcomes to. I guess before one other point that crossed my mind. There is going to be the supply-side solutions that you touched on, and and, and obviously I've highlighted hope as a, as a demand-side solution. How I think about this, it's more of a continuum, so it's not like one or the other. It's how they're linking into each other. And ultimately, you know, and, and I go back to, you know, why we why we started this. Ultimately, you know, we're looking at housing as a key wealth generator um, for Australians. Uh, there has been a ladder uh, for people, the property ladder, for people to go on to, uh, which is increasingly difficult to get onto. And so, you know, solutions have got to also always look at that viewpoint of the ladder no matter where you are in in the social economic, whether you're middle, high, or at the very lowest um, and and vulnerable, how do we support them into that into that ladder, developing wealth, building up um, security for for not only now from a house perspective, but also in, into retirement. So I guess that's a long way of saying yeah that that's a good complex question <laughs> and it'd be worth it's probably worth a podcast on itself yeah. on, on its own just just on that one question.
1: I guess you know keeping on that that same train of thought, another point to note is often these kinds of impact investments are made offshore. For example, in the US, which don't really help things in our own backyard. And considering today, Oxford Independent Economics and the CFMEU estimated there's a shortfall of about 750,000 dwellings in Australia currently, which is expected to hit close to 1 million come 2041. What are your views on that, given the current state of the market? And do you ever think we'll be able to bridge the affordable housing gap?
0: Yeah, um, it doesn't surprise me about... um the Oxford Independent Economic Number, um, and you know, as I mentioned, uh, supply is is a key narrative, and it is really important that uh, we look at all ways, all manner of um, initiatives around supply, but we need to link up those those solutions. When when you talk about bridging the gap. The way that I think about that, it's and it go, it comes down to underlying. If we unpack hope a little bit more away from you know the the uh, high level, this is a co investment or shared equity. So the headline uh, label we put on it, really, it's around innovation around the financing financing solution. And if if you let just allow me to go a bit of a story here, if we look at if we look at history, the way that Australians uh, predominantly but anyone around the world has bought houses has has evolved over time you know, I'm going back to my you know my grandparents or my great-grandparents where housing was hundred percent equity finance you know people people would go into the housing market cash that evolved uh, my parents they you know they're both Post-war baby uh, boomers—they went to the housing market, utilising a mortgage. So they started mixing, you know, the debt-equity financing model. But they were able to do it in a way that the 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 financing model was uh, 60, 70% geared. uh, The rest was their own deposit, and they were able to service that quite comfortably. With my father working and my and my mother staying at home, then our generation. Gen X, Gen Y, you know, that you know, with the with the rising property market and and where um, wage growth was going, it became increasingly harder to do it on just one income, and the amount of debt that was going into that structure was creeping up, seventy to eighty to ninety, uh, and even you know even heard of you know, financing at one hundred percent, one hundred five percent LVRs, you know, some really crazy crazy numbers. And there can only be so far that that debt financing. So no matter, you know, going back to your comment, no matter how many homes are getting built, the the financing model hasn't really evolved, and really mm-hmm. needs to be look, looked at that evolution. And so this is where we integrate uh, with with the, the the supply challenge that has to be looked at in our uh, in the demand challenge to support Australians and bring in. Bring debt levels back down uh, to reasonable numbers within the transaction, and introduce this concept of um, co-investment, which is becoming more popular overseas, and really bringing it into a, a third way that people finance these these homes are getting built uh, here and, and continually across across the country.
1: No, it's it's a really good point. Times have certainly changed, and that evolution needs to sort of work alongside of that. I guess outside of what we've already discussed, there are a few other issues with BuildTrent that have been flagged and those include a lack of liquidity and long-term valuation uncertainty. But looking ahead, what are some of the challenges facing housing investment alternatives like HOPE? And if you were sitting across the table with the super fund industry, what would you say?
0: So I guess looking ahead, housing alternatives, uh, and, and, I, and I think you sort of, I think you sort of touched on it. I mean, if you look at portfolios, traditional portfolios, you know, obviously the shares, um, equity, um, bonds, fixed interest, and, and property, and property has been predominantly focused in on, you know, the office market, um, retail market, and, and logistics. And I think any alternative investment, and this this doesn't just I do not just talk about housing investment. Any alternative investment outside that traditional does require innovation in thinking and and extension of effort from from investors, from investment teams, into how that will fit in into the portfolio. Uh, And that brings in all the questions and the comments that you that you uh, mentioned. How do we think about liquidity? How do we think about returns? How do we think about risk? That will just take time and experience of investors, and they'll get become comfortable and alternatives um, will start to gain a lot more more traction. I guess it leads into um, the point of, if I see across the table, from the superannuation fund into what I'd say, the superannuation industry, um, although however you want to look at it, is still relatively young. Um, but it is growing and, and maturing, and there's you know, three to three odd trillion in there. But housing, residential property, um, is the largest asset class in Australia by far. You can't ignore it, uh, and it should be part of a diversified portfolio um, that's delivering uh, good returns. It's also an asset class that is directly linked, and, and there's plenty of studies out there, to welfare and retirement, good retirement. You know, we're seeing the the, the the thoughts now starting to emerge that you can't just look at superannuation on its own in terms of delivering a good retirement. You've got to look at how it's how it's also looking at supporting uh, a sector that is uh, the largest and essential pillar um uh, were well, one of the three pillars for for Australians in retirement, and I would also say you know, the Labor government has done a lot of good work in half and and progressing that through, and they've got a role to play. You know, I think it's really important that they do provide that some some guidance and some structure. However, we can't wait as an industry super funds can't wait for the government to give the answers or tell us what to do. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got the skills, we've got the capability, we've got the capacity to act now, uh, and we should be acting now. Um, it's supporting Australians uh, in their retirement, for their retirement strategies, building their wealth, uh, delivering access to residential properties and getting giving our portfolio access to the single biggest asset class that that exists in Australia.
1: Absolutely, Tim. It's a really important conversation. So thank you so much for jumping on the show today and giving us those insights. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Cassie. I really appreciate it and enjoyed the time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice.